Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Genesis. Eleanor is joining me. Um, This is a reading from the book of Esther, chapter 7, verse 1 through 10, and chapter 9, verse 20 through 22. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me, that is my petition, and the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we have been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have have held my peace, but no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who has presumed to do this? Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The king rose from the feast in wrath and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that the king had determined to destroy him. When the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman had thrown himself on the couch where Esther was reclining, and the king said, Will he even assault my queen in my presence in my own house? As the words left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance to the king, said, Look, the very gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose words saved the king, stands at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that had had been prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. Mordecai recorded all these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, enjoying them enjoining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same month year by year. As the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Hi, everybody. Good to see you guys. Good to be here. Just going to take a moment. Hi, Zoom people. (laughs) Jessica and Eleanor, that was awesome. Long reading, hard words. Good job. Before I get into my talk, I want to say thank you. Uh, to you for allowing me and my family to spend three months together just hanging out. It was awesome. People keep asking me, how was it? It really was wonderful. Uh, We traveled, we hung out, we did a lot of um, just being together, and I loved it. So thank you so much. Uh, Special thank you also to the amazing preachers. Didn't they do a good job, you guys? Uh, Betsy, Brian, Oshita, Dan, Kara, Allie, and Becky. Uh, People would ask me, who was covering the pulpit for three months? And I just said, our team, our teaching team that preach all the time. It's great. Uh, So I've been slowly listening to those talks. And uh, you got some great gifts this summer. So if you haven't heard some of those messages, go back on our podcast. I encourage you to listen. I also want to thank the staff. Allie and Kara and Rebecca and Will for holding it together while I was gone. They did such a great job, didn't they? Man, thank you so much. Thank you also to the elders uh, who cared for the congregation, made lots of phone calls, and were there in case anything happened. Thank you, Pam and the rest of the elders. You guys are amazing. So um, I'm not going to share a bunch of stuff that happened over sabbatical today, because I want to get right into the talk. I think I'll write a letter to you guys a little bit more about the sabbatical, and it'll just eke out over the months. Is that okay? I just don't really want to do a book report (laughs) on my sabbatical. I'd much rather get into this interesting story that Allie did such an amazing job teeing up for us. So Esther is set in the middle of the 4th century BCE, As Ali mentioned, the Jews in this story uh, are allowed to go back home, but many of them stayed where their families settled for Esther. It was in the citadel or the city of Susa, or Shushan, if you like. Uh, And they were under the rule of the Persians. In the 4th century BCE, uh, we're going to highlight the fact that women had no rights. They were the property of men. That's going to be one of the main themes of this story. In addition to the Jewish persecution that was happening, one of the main subplots of this story is how women are treated and how women respond. Uh, So the story starts by describing King Ahasuerus, also called King Xerxes. And he seems to me to be an Enneagram 7 on steroids. He throws 180-day parties where wine is flowing into golden goblets. The extravagance you read in the story is garish. Um, Interestingly, his name means, I will be silent and poor. He is anything but silent and poor in this story. Can I get an amen? Anything but. We don't know how old he is, but he seems to me to be very young, immature, because he does everything that anyone tells him to do. 
unlike these two brave women in this story. So I want to read part of the story to you from chapter 1, um, because this is, this, what, what, what happens at the very beginning is easy to miss, but we shouldn't miss it. On the seventh day of the second party, when the king was merry with wine, read plastered, he commanded several of his eunuchs uh, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing the royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the officials her beauty, for she was fair to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, conveyed by the eunuchs. At this, the king was enraged, and his anger burned within him. The word Vashti means beautiful. Now here's our first all-play question. So all plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, both on Zoom, use the comments, or in the room, just shout it out. Remember, uh, the goal of an all-play, participating in an all-play, is not to get the right answer, but to further the conversation. So don't be afraid just to shout something out. I guarantee you it'll lead us to something good and beautiful. Here's the all-play question. What happens when we see women only according to their appearance? Remember the word Vashti, her name meant beautiful. What happens when we see women only according to their appearance in the 4th century BCE or today? We discriminate against them. Yes. Thank you, Pam. We only know part of the story. Um, Bob on Zoom says we miss 98% of that beauty. That's good. Laura says, we continue to perpetuate uh, the lies, the ideas that, that they are objects. Elizabeth says, our confirmation bias makes up stories about who they are. What else? What happens when we only see women according to their appearance? Thank you, Sean. We miss out on all their value. Oh, thank you, Mary. Right. Women actually believe it, that they're only valued according to their appearance. So that's what they work on. That's what they look at. And they, they don't bring their own meaning and purpose and value. Um, yeah, Laura, I got it. Not ice, lies. I got it. Thanks, thanks Laura. Um, she wrote a little typo in there. Women according to their ice but I got it. It was lies. Bob, we overlook other women who are as not as physically beautiful. Yeah. And notice that I'm asking what happens when we only notice the appearance of women. Because certainly, is that, does that happen with men too? Or non-binary folks too? Sure. But it has a disproportionate effect on women. Absolutely. Anyone else? So Queen Vashti, what do we, this is not an all-play question that's going to come up on the screen, but it's a extemporaneous one. It's in the moment. What else do we see about her in this story other than her beauty? What do we see? Yep. 
independence. She refused. She knew what was going to happen when she refused. She refused anyway. My son, Ben, has a shirt with a fallen down AT-AT, you know, those, those uh, um, Star Wars big machines, and it says, not today. <laughs> That's what Queen Vashti was saying, not today. However many times that she did that, that she say yes to that kind of thing, that this immature king asked her to do or demanded for her to do, no matter how many times that she did that before, she said, on this day, not today. And I'm going to argue that that started the cascading freedom of the Jewish people that Esther would would eventually um, lead them toward. Queen Vashti's refusal to play the game was utterly beautiful, was it not? Let's not miss that. It's a huge act of nonviolent resistance. And we learn from Queen Vashti that small acts can have great, great effect, even if you don't see it and even if you don't know it. Um, Some more um, answers from Zoom about Queen Vashti. Jessica says, we notice her strength. Laura says, we notice her daring and courage. Bob says, we notice her courage and trust in her own wisdom in her God. And it's interesting, God is never mentioned in this whole book. And yet, we see some beautiful principles highlighting the fact that God can be found even when God is not mentioned. Amen? Ah, that's good. So, um, the result from her refusal is kind of hilarious, and it's really tragic. But some of the men get all a titter, and they say, if Queen, I mean, Queen Vashti's refusal is really bad for the king, but it sets a bad precedent. This means, I mean, this means every woman in the whole province is going to treat their husband the way that Queen Vashti treated her husband, and it's going to be an uproar. We can't have that. And so an edict was sent out. A law was passed. Verse 22 of chapter 1, to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, declaring that every man should be master in his own house. (laughs) How do you think that went? Oh my goodness. So the story goes on. We're going to meet Esther. And uh, I want to read just a couple more verses in chapter 2. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Um, Then the king's servants who attended him said, here's an idea. Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king. And let the king appoint commissioners in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in the citadel of Susa under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who's in charge of the women. Let their cosmetic treatments be given them, and let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. So basically, they set up a reality TV show where all these young, beautiful women were gathered in, they were given special food and cosmetic treatments for a year. 
and the winner gets to be the king's new queen. Yay! By the way, this was non-voluntary. So Esther is one of these women. So, so far we've met a king whose name is, I will be silent and poor, who is anything but. We've met Queen Vashti, who is powerful and courageous. Her name means beautiful. We've met a bunch of men who decide to write laws, <laughs> saying that men should be masters in their own house and women should be silent. And then we saw uh, that it was a great idea for women to be um, powdered for 12 months so that the winner would be the new queen. Second all-play question. What's this story going to be about? What's this story going to be about? That is an all-play question. Say it again, Michelle. Power over. Yep. What else? Whoa! Is that Rebecca back there? How when women are liberated, the whole world is liberated. I can get behind that one. What else? It'll be about what's going on underneath. All the parties and all the cosmetic treatments. What's really happening in the hearts of men and women in the kingdom? Where there's a bad king and a courageous queen. Bob on Zoom says the story is going to be about empire going way, way wrong. So among all those things, the story is about finding the courage to stand up to disordered power. It's about two women, not just one, two. It's about Queen Vashti and Esther, who found the courage to stand up to power, even though the laws and customs of her time didn't permit women to speak at all. Remember Becky's sermon from last week. Remember that when we heard Proverbs 31 read out loud and we all groaned and cried out in our anguish? What could possibly be good about this chapter that's been used to make sure women are all the things? And Becky said, no, this is a picture of women, plural, and about the diversity and of men and women, but especially women. Some are this way, some are that way. Some have these gifts. So this is a story about two of those kinds of women who had certain kinds of gifts in their social location. So the story goes on. Now, there's a Jew in the citadel of Susa whose name is Mordecai, uh, son of Jair, son of Shemesh, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Now, Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with King Jehoniah of Judah, whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had carried away. Mordecai had, brought up, Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his cousin, for she had neither father nor mother. The girl was fair and beautiful, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. Beautiful. 
So Mordecai comes into conflict with Haman, as we heard about in the kids' sermon. And Haman responds by plotting to kill not only Mordecai, but the whole Jewish people. And due to the intractability of the law of the Medes and Persians, once the king signed it, it becomes law, and it, is, you, you, it cannot be overturned. So this edict is proclaimed in several cities and provinces, causing the death of many Jews. And when Mordecai hears about this, he sits at the king's gate in sackcloth and ashes. In hearing of this, Esther sends to find out what's wrong with him. And he sends back word to her of the edict, asking her to intervene. Now, by the way, um, Esther, as you just heard, is not her real name. Her real name is Hadassah, which means myrtle tree. Super obvious what that means. Well, a myrtle tree is an evergreen tree. So in the story where one woman is named beautiful, the other woman is named evergreen. Evergreen. I read that and I hear ever-present life. Hope when all you see around you is death and decay. Something that's alive in the middle of death. That's who Hadassah is. That's who Esther is. And She's been living with the king, being used by the king for whatever he wants to do. She's Jewish, but the king doesn't know it. And when she finds out that her people are going to be annihilated, um, she finds out from Mordecai. And I'll, I'll read to you what Mordecai says to her. Maybe these are some of the verses that maybe you've heard from this story. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 4, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther because he couldn't talk to her directly, of course. Do not think that in the king's palace even you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? Perhaps you have come to the royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do, and after that I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. I'll play question. You can answer either one of these. What's it like to feel powerless to change a situation? And or, what's it like to know that you have something to say and that you need to say it? So first of all, what's it like to feel powerless over a situation that's wrong and needs to change? Yeah, Isaac, you feel irrelevant. Exactly, what a great answer. You feel irrelevant. Your voice doesn't matter. It feels infuriating, Pam, when you know something is wrong and you feel like there's nothing you can do. What else? What does it feel like to feel powerless to change a situation? Yeah. Really, it feels humiliating.
Oh, Rachel, strips you down to the core of who you are. Spoken like someone who knows. Yes. Sometimes it's motivating to say, you know, like even Queen Vashti, right? I bet she felt powerless her whole life. But then there came a moment where she said, no, I, I'm going to do something. Not today. <laughs> I'm refusing the king's order, even though it'll cost me my life. Yes. Pam, Queen Vashti chose not to do something. So her inaction was a form of action. I'm going to catch up from on, online here. Laura says, that's how trauma happens when the choice is taken away. Yes. Elizabeth, sometimes you feel gaslit. Yes. Like, am I the only one who sees what's going on here? Yes. Now, what does it feel like? Let's get into the second question. What does it feel like to know that you have something to say and that you really do need to say it. What does that feel like? Like Esther did have not much power, but more power than Mordecai or others because of her position. What's it like to know that you need to say something in those moments before you say it? Really scary, Pam. Bob says, scary and powerful at the same time. You're sitting there quaking. I love it that she called for a fast for three days. <laughs> Let's give this a moment. <laughs> and I think it was the right thing. It also kind of makes me laugh because, like, it gave her three days, you know? <laughs> three days. <sighs> What's it like to know you need to say something? before you say it. Nauseating, yes. What, this is not up on the screen, but what are some of the things that give you the courage to do it? For Esther, it was her cousin, who she loved, encouraging her to do it. What other factors motivate you to speak against injustice? Say it. Thanks, Rob. Desperation. Yeah. But Esther, I'm going to die. My people are going to die unless I say something. And maybe I'm the only one that can do it. Desperation. What else? Conviction, Pam. Yeah. Sometimes I was watching Ted Lasso the other night, and um, he says, you know, it's, it's, it's never the wrong thing to do the right thing. What gives you the strength and courage to do it? Say it louder, Becky. Those that have gone before me and risked gives me courage that I can do it too. Yeah. Yep. If I perish, I perish. Um, maybe Vashti gave Esther the strength. I do love to wonder about what happens in the white spaces between the black words, you know? And so you just wonder, like, 
Is it possible that those two got together and talked? Probably not, but what if? You know, these two women of valor. Um, Bob says, knowing that I will survive the moment. Um, Esther didn't know if she would survive the moment, and she still did it. Um, Elizabeth, sometimes it's knowing I have a place of privilege that those I might be speaking up for don't have. Yes. Laura, you consider the consequences over and over, but also recognize it feels like you're going to end up having it come out one way or another, ideally not in a volcano, but it needs to happen either way. Yeah. Sometimes it's like that not today spirit just rises up big enough and you're like, I got to do it. I got to say something. I got to speak out because people are dying. People are being traumatized. And when you, um, when you see someone suffering or a group of people suffering, being left out, being discriminated against, when you get close enough in proximity and you have a moment where you realize your voice or your action matters and is necessary, that's the time to speak, amen? That's the time to act. That's the time to do it. And if you perish, you perish. So, some observations and thoughts as we close on this beautiful story. So much more to be said. All week I was like, how am I going to preach on this whole book? It's crazy. There's way too much here. Um, so, three things. Maybe these are encouraging. Maybe they're challenging. Maybe they're both. Number one, change is possible. Isn't that good news right now? Change is possible. About racism. About LGBTQIA inequality. Um, change is possible. Number two, in order for change to happen, sometimes you're the one who needs to expose the truth. So will you speak? From your social location, your gender, your sexual identity, your skin color, where you live, that's your social location. From your social location, sometimes you're the one who needs to expose the truth. And the question is, will you speak when it's that time? And if you perish, you perish. Will you do it for the shalom of the world? Because our job is to see to that wellness, that wholeness of our brothers and sisters. And who are our brothers and sisters? Who are our siblings? Who aren't they? Right? So change is possible. Sometimes you're the one who needs to expose the truth and speak up. And thirdly, sometimes you're the one who needs to hear the truth. Will you listen? Sometimes you're the person in power who's making decisions that, are, that maybe you don't even know. Or you're a part of a group of people in power. And you don't even know the oppression that's being caused. Will you listen to truth when it's spoken? That's a, that's a, that's a whole word, right, <laughs> for us? That's a whole word. And then fourth, remember what I came to call this week the Vashti principle. Here's the Vashti principle. You might never know what your small, not today, 
action might do, but it will create ripples of freedom. I guarantee you. Most of heroic acts are never seen or heard. They're not big trumpet sounds. They're tiny little drip, drip, drips. And that's our invitation. That's our invitation. Will we be a drip, drip, drip that causes ripples of freedom when we choose to act or not act in those Vashti moments, those not today moments? Will we do it? Will we do it? I'll close with a quote from Henry Nowen, who Will mentioned earlier in the service. I'll, I'll read it twice because I think it's, it's quite beautiful. It's a series of questions that he asks. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face today? Did I say words of healing today? Did I let go of anger and resentment today? Did I forgive today? Did I love? These, he says, are the real questions. Read it again. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? These are the real questions. And this is real power. Amen? Amen. We're going to read the prayers of confession together. I think they're going to come up on the screen. They're also in your liturgy. I'll read the leader part, and we'll read the all part together. Before doing the prayers of confession, my own confession, made it through my first sermon back after three months. I was nervous. Can I still do this? Oh. Okay. Thank you. That was a rhetorical question, but I, I, I appreciate the answer. Maybe it wasn't really rhetorical. It was my Enneagram 3 coming out. Did I do okay, guys? Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.